Welcome to Salt and Light with Pastor Rodney Finch. Salt and Light is a radio outreach ministry of Calvary Chapel, Cary. Jesus, speak to me. Open your word and reveal your heart to me. Salt and Light is a series of verse-by-verse studies through the Bible, focusing on its practical application to our everyday lives. Salt and Light is recorded live at Calvary Chapel, Cary, in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned. At the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us, so be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Rodney will be teaching a special message, so grab your Bibles and follow along. Now with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney. Okay, so 2 Timothy, take your Bibles and turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3. And uh, I want you to hold your place there, 2 Timothy chapter 3, you at home, 2 Timothy chapter 3, and we're going to read verses 12 and 13 the, uh, through 17. Then I want you to hold your place there in 2 Timothy and go to 2 Peter chapter 1 in verse 20 through 21. 2 Peter chapter 1. So put your place marker at 2 Peter. And uh, just hold, uh, hold on to Second Timothy, and we're going to get to it in just a moment. Somebody say amen. Let me read you something as we get going. The new pastor was asked, listen to this, was asked to teach the junior high youth ministry in the absence of the regular teacher. Are you listening to me? So he decided to do what they knew, to decided to see what they knew. So he asked who knocked down the walls of Jericho. All the boys d- denied having done it. <laughs> and the preacher, just a bit, and the preacher was appalled by their ignorance. Well, at the next elders meeting, he told the elders about the boys not knowing who knocked down the walls of Jericho. And the group was silent until finally one seasoned veteran spoke up. He said, preacher, this appears to be bothering you a lot, but I've known these boys since they were born and they're good boys. If they said they didn't know, I believe them. (laughs) Let's just take some money out of the maintenance fund, fix the walls, and let that be that. What a sad commentary. Seems like Christians today don't know that much about the word. Seems like Christians today don't don't know the word of God. You know, this morning, uh, at the risk of being Captain Obvious, can I say... Christians should love reading and studying the Bible. Somebody say amen. It is healthy. It's reasonable. It makes sense. Sports fans read sports magazines. Well, I don't know. Do people still read magazines now? It's on the Internet. Political people read political stuff. Carpenters read carpenter house stuff, blueprints, etc., Doctors read medical journals. Christians should read the Bible. Say a better amen than that. Did you know 
There are millions of people who call themselves Christians who never pick up the Bible and they never read it. The Bible, listen to me, saints, isn't like any other book. The Bible is different. The Bible is a one of a kind book. The communists have their manifesto. The Maoists have their little red book. And the Muslims have the Quran. The Christian has the inspired word of God, not taught by human wisdom, but by the spirit of God. And apart from the spirit of God, you can't understand it. Are you still with me? So this morning, I've got a really easy outline for you. So easy, I didn't even put it up on the screen for you. I'm going to give you six reasons that you can trust the Bible. Six reasons you can trust the Bible. Number one, you can write down one word. You can trust the Bible because of its theme. Write that down. Number two, you can trust the Bible because it is prophetic or prophecy. Number three, you can trust the Bible because it reveals Jesus. Number four, you can trust the Bible because it's scientific. Number five, you can trust the Bible because of its miracles. And then finally, we'll talk about today, you can trust the Bible because of experience. Number one, you can trust the Bible because of theme, prophecy, Jesus, science, miracles, and lastly, because of experience. I've titled this sermon, Trust the Bible, again, with selected verses. Okay, so go with me to 2 Timothy. You've already turned there. Second, let me turn there myself. 2 Timothy chapter 2, and we're looking at uh, verse, or pardon me, chapter 3, and we're looking at verse 12 through 17. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 12 through 17. And yes, are you looking at verse 12? Say amen. Yes, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus shall... Are y'all with me? Show what? But evil men and imposters will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But you, in verse 14, must continue in the things which you have learned, Timothy, and been assured of, knowing from whom you've learned them. And that from childhood you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you what, saints? Wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture, come on, read it with me. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped in every good work. Saints, stop right there. Listen close. The Bible doesn't say that men were inspired. Listen to me close. The Bible doesn't say that men, the men who wrote the Bible, were inspired. The Bible says the words that the men wrote down was inspired. Isaiah wasn't an inspired man. David wasn't an inspired man. David was a man just like us. Instead of Bathsheba, we know. The Bible doesn't tell us that Peter, Paul, and almost said Mary... I'm dating myself. (laughs) Peter, Paul, and John, they were not inspired. No biblical writer was an inspired person. Watch this. 
There were special moments in their lives that God spoke to them and they took the quill and began to write the words that God breathed into them. It was more than dictation. They weren't just listening to some voice and writing it like dictation, like, "Uh uh-huh, uh-huh, okay, okay, uh, uh uh-huh, uh-huh, okay, okay. It wasn't like that. The word of God was flowing into their being. The word of God was flowing into their heart and their mind and their soul and their emotions. And what came out on the page was the very word of God. This verse reads the totality of scripture. All scripture is God breathed. Say amen. Amen. Second Peter, go with me. Second Peter chapter one. In verse 20, second Peter one twenty, second Peter one twenty. You looking at verse 20? Say, I'm looking at it. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture. Oh, I hear pages turn and somebody ain't there. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation, but prophecy never came by the will of men, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. So that brings us to point number one. We can trust the Bible, number one, because of its theme, because of the theme. Now, keep in mind, the Bible is first and foremost a story. Listen to me close. The Bible is first and foremost a story. The Bible is one big story about God and his people. This one big story has 66 books. And they were written by 40 different authors over a 15, 1600 year period. Written on three different continents, three different by three in three different languages. Shepherds and kings and scholars and fishermen and prophets, a military general, a cupbearer and a priest, all pen portions of the scripture. They wrote from places and uh, palaces, pardon me, and prisons and wilderness and exile. They wrote about history and laws and poetry and prophecy and proverbs. And despite the topic, watch this, despite the topic or the goal of the writing, they all have one consistent message. All 66 books of the Bible have one consistent message, and that is to paint us a beautiful portrait of our Savior, Jesus. I am telling you, from cover to cover, from Genesis to Revelation, every book of the Bible points us to Jesus Christ. I'm going to wait while you clap your hands. Yeah, that's all right. They all paint a portrait of Jesus. They all have the same message, and it's proof that the Bible is God-breathed, and you can trust the Bible because of its theme. Point number two, you can trust the Bible because of prophecy. What's prophecy, Pastor Rodney? Prophecy is the telling of what will happen before it happens with accuracy. There's the operative word, with accuracy. No, saints, we're not talking about Sister Cleo. We're not talking about John Brown or what's the woman's name, uh, Mr. Sister Sylvia or the Long Island medium. And we're not talking about them. We're talking about God who has the ability to tell us things that are going to happen before they happen. Isaiah 46, write this down. Verses 9 through 10 tells us, remember the former things of old. For I am God, 
and there is no other. And I am God and there is none like me declaring the end. Are y'all with me? Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things that are not yet done, saying my counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. You know, it reminds me talking about prophecy. It reminds me of Luke chapter 24. And I know you know this story well. As Jesus, or pardon me, as the disciples, uh, two disciples particularly, are on the road to Emmaus. And they are disappointed, remember? And Jesus shows up incognito in his resurrected body. Jesus said, hey, fellas, why are you all so sad? And Cleophas said, what, have you not heard? Has your head been in the sand? Jesus, he went on to say, has been crucified. He did good things and he was a good guy. Haven't you heard about that? And Jesus said, no, I haven't heard. What, what, what? You know what I love about that story? I love the fact that they are telling Jesus about Jesus and they didn't know it was Jesus. Y'all slow, but you're going to get it. You're going to get it. They didn't know it was Jesus. So then Jesus said, you slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. He took them through the Old Testament passages. Read it in your own time. He took them through the Old Old Testament passages that talked about the death and the resurrection of the Messiah. And then in Luke 24, 44, then he said to them, these are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must watch it be fulfilled which were written in the laws of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. Now, when Jesus said it is written, this is referring saints to prophecy. One of the strongest reasons, listen to me close. One of the strongest reasons that we know that we can trust the Bible is because of this thing called prophecy. Prophecy. Did you know? There are more than 300 prophecies in the Bible. Prophecies like Micah chapter 5 verse 2 tells us before Jesus was born. Actually, Micah 5 2 is 700 years before Jesus was born. It tells us in Micah 5 2 that Jesus will be born in Bethlehem. Malachi 3 1 tells us that he would be announced by a forerunner, John the B. Prophecies like he would be killed with criminals and buried in a rich man's grave. Zechariah 9.9, he's coming into the city, the Bible told us, a thousand years, Zechariah wrote, Zechariah 9.9, that Jesus, on Palm Sunday morning, 32 AD, April 6, would come riding into Jerusalem on a donkey. Zechariah 9.9, and by the way, insert, that is why Jesus wept over Jerusalem. Because they should have known April 6, 32 A.D. They should have known that there's coming a coming Messiah. And when the Messiah comes, Zechariah told him, when the Messiah comes, he's going to come riding in a donkey. Somebody should have saw Jesus on April 6, 32 A.D. coming into Jerusalem, riding on a donkey and said, that looks familiar. Okay, like I don't even know the Bible that well, but that kind of looks like something we read somewhere. Did we be somewhere? Some guy is supposed to come, the Messiah is supposed to come riding in Jerusalem. That's the Messiah. They were supposed to know. Jesus goes up on the Mount of Olives. He looks over and he begins to weep. 
And he says, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I desire to gather you as a mother hen desires to gather her chicks, but you were not willing. And then he prophesied their destruction. Prophecy is important. More than 300, I think of Zechariah eleven twelve. He will be betrayed by a friend for 30 pieces of silver. Y'all still with me? Say amen. And that betrayal money will purchase a potter's field. Over 300 prophecies and Jesus completely fulfilled every single one of them. Unbelievable. There is a man, a mathematician. His name is Peter Stoner. You can write that down. Pick up his book if you like. Peter Stoner, he was a mathematician. He wrote a book called Science Speaks. And in the book, he points out the odds of one man fulfilling 300 prophecies is mathematically impossible. Using the law of compound probability, what is the probability of one man fulfilling eight prophecies? He said the probability that one man could fulfill to the T with accuracy one prophet, eight prophecies is one in 10 to the 17th power. In other words, I want you to picture that's a one with 17 zeros after it. That would be equivalent to take 10 to the 17th power, 17 zeros after it, in silver dollars. He gives this illustration. And he says, you cover Texas two feet deep with, with silver dollars, and on one silver dollar, place a red X. Blindfold a man, tell him to start walking, stop wherever he wants, reach down and grab a silver dollar. The chances that that man will find the silver dollar with the red X on it is one in 10 to the 17th power. Well, that's just eight prophecies. Take 16. That's one in 10 to the 45th power. That's one with 45 zeros after it. How about 48 prophecies? That's one in 10 to the 157th power. Now, what is the chance that one man could fulfill 300 prophecies with accuracy? The number is incomprehensible. The Bible has hundreds of prophecies that Jesus has fulfilled to the T. That has to be God. Has to be God. So we can trust the Bible. Well, the Bible predicts many other things. The Bible, did you know, predicted that King Cyrus would be born 150 years before he was born. The Bible predicted that he would rise into power in the Middle East and then he would release the Jewish people from captivity. Isaiah 44 and 45. Sure enough, 150 years later, Cyrus the Great became the king of Persia and released the Jewish people exactly as the prophet has said. We can trust the Bible because of its theme. We can trust the Bible because of prophecy. And thirdly, we can trust the Bible because of Jesus. Can two saints say amen? Come on, come on, come on. Do it right. You're going to do it. Do it right. We can trust the Bible because of Jesus. The single, listen to me, even better than prophecy. And that prophecy thing is like awesome. Okay, awesome. But even greater than prophecy, even more, even importantly than prophecy, the greatest single proof that you can trust the Bible is the resurrection of Jesus. Am I right about it? And the life of Jesus. You can study the prophecies of Christ in the Old Testament. You can study the life and the teachings of Jesus in the Gospels. And you can study the second coming of Christ in Revelation. You'll see 
Jesus' whole life is unique. There's only one like him. Somebody say amen. One like him, none before him, none coming behind him, and none beside him. There's only one like him. Specifically, talking about the resurrection from the dead. Take your pen. Over and over, Jesus prophesied about his death and resurrection. John 2, 19, Jesus said, destroy this temple, and in three days he would raise it up. Now, Jesus wasn't talking about the temple in Jerusalem, the physical structure. He was talking about his body. Matthew 12, 40, for as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Matthew 16, 21, write it down. Matthew 17, Matthew 16, 21. Matthew 17, 22 and 23. Over and over and over again, the Bible is clear concerning the resurrection of Jesus. And I've said this many times. The resurrection, listen to me close. The resurrection of Jesus is the hinge on which the door of Christianity swings. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 14 through 17. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty. And your faith is also empty. And yes, we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ whom he did not raise up. If in fact the dead do not rise for if the dead do not rise, where y'all at? Then Christ is not risen where y'all at. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. And guess what? You are still in your sins. If Christ be not risen, this is what I'm telling you, the single greatest proof of the trustworthiness of the Bible is the resurrection of Jesus. If Christ be not risen, then we are all us folk are still in our sins. He is risen. Uh Uh-huh. Come on, clap those hands and say amen. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. If Christ be not risen, the Christian's faith is in vain. If Christ is not risen, if he did not rise, we are most pitiful people on the planet. If Christ be not risen, we might as well pack it up and go home. There's nobody else who can bring us salvation. Somebody say amen. So all our preaching would be empty. If there's no resurrection, there's no hope for human history. The resurrection is proof that Jesus is who he claimed to be. The resurrection is proof that Jesus is God. Jesus dying on the cross is not proof of his deity. Jesus dying on the cross is not proof of his deity because crucifixion, Calvary, I know you know. You know, you know. The crucifixion is a form of capital punishment in Rome. So if you were sentenced to die, you were crucified. So crucifixion. It's not proof of his deity. Jesus proved his divinity and deity by raising from the grave, rising from the grave on the third day. And Romans, come on, come on, come on, everybody, everybody. You at home. Romans 1, 4. And declared to be the son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. 
The resurrection proved Christ's power to forgive sin. The resurrection revealed Christ's power over death. Romans 6, 9, are you still listening? Say amen. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over us and him. 1 Corinthians 15, 54, 55. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? And O Hades, where is your victory? The resurrection is proof that Jesus defeated the enemy. From the moment that Adam and Eve sinned until the cross, Satan has tried hard to overthrow the kingdom of God at the crucifixion. Satan must have thought that he dealt a death blow to Christ. He probably was like, yay, we got him, finally. They've been trying to trip him up for three years. We got him now. You have been listening to Salt and Light, a radio outreach ministry of Pastor Rodney Finch in Calvary Chapel, Cary, located in Apex, North Carolina. Join Pastor Rodney Monday through Friday at this same time. For information regarding service times, you can contact us at 1-800-293-0923. That's 1-800-293-0923. You may listen to today's broadcast in its entirety by visiting the Media Library on our website at cccarry.org. We would like to thank you for tuning in to Salt and Light and pray that you have been blessed. Until next time, may you be salt and light.